Hello and welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I'm your host Emma and each week I'm out and about chatting to Londoners and to those who love, live and work in this big and glorious city. Today my guest is Leonora Merriel, author, entrepreneur, businesswoman and mother. Her life has taken her from Edinburgh across to Canada, New York, Ukraine, Barcelona and now back to London. She says her experiences have given her a treasure trove of ideas and stories which will feed her writing forever. She says it takes 20 years of living before you have something to write and another 10 years to learn how to write it. This is Leonora's story of London, the world and life. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Travelling Through podcast. I am today in Bushy Park, which is very close to Teddington, on the edge of London, maybe going into Surrey, and I'm here yes. with Leonora Merriel. Hello, Leonora. Hello, good morning. Very sunny morning it for our podcast. It is beautiful, isn't it? And you know, it's the first time I've ever walked <laughs> in Bushy Park. I've gone mm-hmm. through it in the car when I used to work at Hampton Court mm-hmm. in another life. Are we going to walk this way? Or uh, I think we could walk up the road. It's looking so oh, inviting. Yeah. Okay. And, and it is, statue. looks like it's barricaded at the top. So yes. So yes. is it no longer a thoroughfare for vehicles? They closed it off during COVID and it's still closed off, I think, for the, for the runners, for the oh, cyclists. Brilliant. Yes. Which is very pleasant. And for the deer, having said that, and here comes the a deer. car. They obviously don't know it's... <laughs> no. <laughs> it's cut off. No, Followed by another car. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. Never mind. But it's a beautiful January winter day and um, it's been a while since we caught up I think it was in July it was we came to your house and had a lovely meal in the garden that's right as you borrowed your neighbor's garden we did (laughs) to double the space it was a very covered friendly thing to do very and um and since then you have become a mother yes again yes again (laughs) for the third time for the third time yes now you have a little boy who's a year a year and three months now Arthur yes so life has changed quite dramatically for you being a writer and trying to juggle having a young son, it young has. baby in the house. <laughs> uh, it's just got even busier, even though it was incredibly busy before, but it's just got, um, now I'd say, baby gets in all the tiny spaces in between <laughs> that were <laughs> might have been five minutes for a cup of coffee, now it's five minutes with baby. So, oh, right, okay. Yes. <laughs> and has it actually changed the way you've had to, to write or order your day? Um, So far as writing, no, because my husband and I planned very carefully how we'd keep his career very smooth and my career very smooth. So we did a lot of micromanagement before baby came along. Okay. Because there's a lot of things we're happy to move around, but my writing isn't one of them. And um, so I was very careful to keep my mornings. Yes. and it's worked out okay? It's worked out okay, but we're just much more tired all the time. <laughs> <laughs> which is yes. normal, isn't it, when you have a, yes, a young normal. child in the exactly. house? Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot more, there's a bigger range of books now. There's a lot of suddenly children's books and yes. books you can put in the bath. <laughs> so that's really great because it takes you back to um, childhood days of, of reading yourself. 
And yes. And in yes. fact, I have to admit that the, the book I'm reading at the moment is um, the uh, Tales of, of Winnie the Pooh. Mm. It's like the condensed version of all the stories, which I hadn't read for so many years. And I don't have a child in the house, but mm. I just pulled it off the shelf. Oh, they're lovely. <laughs> and they're such lovely stories to read. Yes. With a, a lovely message in there too. And that's the thing about children's books, isn't it? That there's quite often a message for an adult as well yeah. as for the child. Oh, very much so. I mean, the best children's books are, are written on several levels so that the adults can enjoy them. Yes. Um, but a lot of the old-fashioned children's books are so rich. They're not simple. They're actually fantastic pieces of literature that you can really, really enjoy and savour with wonderful vocabulary. And uh, Do you have uh, a favourite? Uh, well, Arthur's a bit young for my favourites, but I really love things like Five Children and It. Mm. Um, the Railway Children, those slightly older ones. Yes. Um, things like that, which are just absolutely classic pieces of literature. Yes. And mm. this takes you back, because your, your initial mm. background mm. was studying literature at Edinburgh University. Yes, which yes. Which, in fact, was where I grew up. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so um, yes. that's a while ago, but did you enjoy yeah. your time in, in Edinburgh? Oh, I loved it. Uh, Books had always been the thing that I was just crazy about in every possible way. So the idea of getting to go and just be able to read books for four years was yes. just, <laughs> that's just almost unbelievable. And Edinburgh is just such a fantastic place. Mm -hmm. It's got such special light. The people are so incredibly nice, uh, it's so historic, it's so beautiful in different seasons. Yes, yes. Um, so I absolutely loved Edinburgh and just loved reading for four years. So it and was. Why did you choose Edinburgh to, to go and study literature? Um, first of all, it was far away, and that was good. <laughs> I didn't want to be close. I've always wanted to explore. Yes. And they also had a, um, a North American program where you got to spend your third year in a North American university. Okay. So I ended up uh, spending a year in a Canadian university. This sound indicates, on the recording, where it went a bit fuzzy. I'm sorry for that, and I hope it doesn't affect your enjoyment of the podcast, or indeed, your ears. Thank you for your understanding. Yes. Which was a wonderful experience, and that changed the course of my life. When I went there, I, I met my first husband came back to university for my fourth year married. Yeah. Oh, did you? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> all right. And that led to my path to Ukraine via New York. So oh, uh, it was all that's quite an adventure. The, yeah, most definitely. Oh. Because I wondered that when you finished university, you went to New York and you were working in the UN. Well, I spent a summer working in the UN and then I got a, a job with a law firm uh, on Wall Street. And that was, it was just great fun. I kind of postponed my dream of being a writer because <laughs> it was all so intoxicating and so enormously fast-paced. But now I have all this wonderful material to put in my novels, having worked on Wall Street, lived in New York, lived in Manhattan, seen all the people and been there at a particular time. I was there during the, the millennia. That was exciting. And I was working at the UN when they had the Millennium Assembly that I now look back on when it was all the world leaders gathered oh, yes, in one place. Yes. And what my boss moment. was very kind to me and said, you've got a few days off to just wander around and yes, <laughs> sit yes. in all the lectures. So I did that. Oh, that was... wow. So absorb something very unique. Yes, absolutely. And just kind of walking along the UN corridors and you see 
three world leaders walking along together. And what what yeah. from that experience um, had the biggest impact on you, or who had the biggest impact on you? Yes, I think I think at that time it was Kofi Annan who was the Secretary General of the UN, and he was such a wonderful man and such a great presence, and really I think did unite the world a lot at that point. Yes, yes. And, and I think in a way that the the subsequent ones haven't quite so much. Mm -hmm. And there was really a sense then of a positive movement and yeah. Clinton was the president and and everything felt like it was it was positive and moving in a, in a good direction so I think they they were kind of golden days to look back on yes yeah. um, and from your time there your husband came from the Ukraine yes he was, so he was born he was an Ukrainian. Ukrainian and he was also then at the same university in Canada or how did you meet he had, um, if you don't mind me talking. Oh about no, it. no, my new husband will love it that I'm <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> so my my first husband was Ukrainian, and he had studied in Canada, but was currently working in New York. Mm. And we met very fatefully at a Halloween party <laughs> in <laughs> Toronto, where neither of us lived. We'd both just gone to Toronto for that one night. Oh my goodness! Uh, ended up in a giant warehouse and somehow met each other. Yes, and. That was the very first time in my life I'd heard the word Ukraine yes. when he said, I'm from Ukraine. And I said, oh, where's that? Yes, I'll look that up on the map. Sounds yes, interesting. That's <laughs> true, because it's, it's not a part of the world that was really taught in history. No, no. Not in my school, now, anyway. luckily, people do know it. Yes, exactly. Uh, as they should do. As they yeah. should do. And that started my, my love affair with Ukraine. Yeah. Because I ended up uh, living in Kiev for 10 years, two Ukrainian children. Yes, of course. <laughs> and speaking the language and just absolutely loving the country and becoming a huge supporter of the country and its culture and knowing its culture and it's a country that that you really do fall in love with it has so much potential and so many interesting elements to its culture and and the people want so much to create a really positive future for it yeah and yeah. it's it's just impossible not to support that that very very fierce fight for a good and positive life yeah the determination of a, of a people absolutely because in, in history, because I was having a look, look at just Wikipedia to try mm. and educate myself very quickly about Ukraine, mm. apart from what we've heard on the news, obviously. Mm. And it's been beleaguered throughout its history. Oh, very it? much. All sides. And you yes. just think what stalwart people they are very to much. be able to still stand their ground and say, no, we want to be Ukraine, Ukrainian. Yes. yes. I visited um, Lviv, mm. which is right on there. The west side, so yes, and on very the Polish border. Yes, I would say almost still quite European, mm. really, in, in its style of architecture and very, very much Austro-Hungarian yes. influences there. Mm. Um, and one place I went to with a friend, who also a colleague, who he was working for an NGO there, and he said there was still a very much that was back in 2012, I think, the the Ukrainian-speaking community and then the Russian-speaking mm. community, and there were some places where we went to where only Ukrainian could be spoken or English. Yes. And if you spoke <laughs> Russian, you'd be chucked out, basically. Yes. Or your, your life would be made such that you wouldn't want to be there. Yes. And um, how did that affect you working in Kiev? Mm. It was an, just an interesting part of the, the situation at the time when I was in Kiev that I was told, if you go to Western Ukraine, speak terrible Ukrainian or speak English, but don't speak Russian. And I was very at peace with that because traditionally the West of Ukraine is seen as the, the Ukrainian, the heartland of the culture. 
yeah. and they're very, very proud of it and they want to really celebrate the whole Ukrainian language there. Yeah. So I was just very respectful of that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think people from the West were also very calm when they came to Kiev and everyone was speaking Russian or went to the East and mm -hmm. people were speaking Russian. Yeah. So I think I think there was a fair amount of respect for the situation and who wanted to speak what at that time. Right, okay. But obviously now, January 2022, <laughs> Things are hotting up once again for the poor, yes. poor country and, and for the people of the country, more to the point. Isn't mm. it? They constantly seem to have to be on their guard. And, yes, and, and um, will certainly have long-term effects that we will have to see how that, how that plays out. Which, yes, yes. But um, we won't get into politics today. <laughs> it's always a hot topic. And yes. I, well, Ukraine was never boring. I'll, yes. <laughs> I'll yes. add that. It had two revolutions while I lived there. So it Did was, it? Uh, yeah, of course, yes. yes, yes. It was Life in Britain is a little bit more calm <laughs> in comparison. After that. Your experience in Ukraine effectively formed the backdrop of your first book, A Woman Behind, Behind the, waterfall. the Waterfall. Yes. What I was struck by with the book was your, your description or your descriptions of the countryside uh, and how descriptive they were. You, you described it in a way, it just seemed beautiful. I just wanted to be there, like I was oh. stepping in there. But did that come from your experience of being in nature in, in the Ukraine? Very much so. Um, one of the things which absolutely knocks you out in Ukraine is how rich, how verdant, how amazing the countryside is. And this comes back to what you were saying about the history of Ukraine having been a land that has been conquered from all sides. Yeah. And the, the reason for that is that the, the land is so rich. They have this extraordinary black soil yeah. where everything grows. And Ukraine was known as the breadbasket of Europe for a very long time. I think that's a Victorian phrase. But because it was all the wonderful corn growing in, in this amazing soil that just fed all the lands around. Yes. And of course, everyone wants that. But um, if you visit the countryside during the spring, kind of after months and months of snow, suddenly in about the end of April, the beginning of May, the snow's gone and suddenly everything's growing at the most extraordinary speed. It's such a kind of physical shock to see it. Yeah. It's just absolutely, it's like a, a miracle every year. Really, really. And it's abundance incredible abundance yeah. everything flowers vegetables trees bushes <laughs> all the birds everywhere it's 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 such a intense sensory experience it's okay. really really wonderful a little bit of what i wanted to capture in my book of just how special that is yes yeah, yeah and interestingly since i wrote the book i found quite similar descriptions in other people describing that area right um because it's very much in the Carpathian, Carpathian yes, the Carpathians and rain, yes. yeah, and I read I think the the Street of Crocodiles by Bruno Schultz. He was a I, I think he was a Polish writer, but writing about the same area, yes, uh, had very similar descriptions of just pages and pages describing the abundance, that, how shocking it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and how incredible it was, and how you leaves uh, you breathless. Yeah, so looking. it's very overwhelming almost, mm. isn't it? But the book itself came about because you were also at the crossroads of, of your life yes. and your Ukraine experience was coming to an end or had it come <laughs> to an end when you decided to, to write? Uh, it came to an end in the sense of when I turned 30 I got divorced and then I had to make some big decisions and I suddenly remembered I was meant to be a writer all this time. That was the only thing I'd ever cared about before yeah. I ran off to New York. <laughs> and of course, when you were in Ukraine, you were involved, was it with your husband mm -hmm. who founded this internet company? Yes. Or, it's, is it a dot-com company or is it uh, something different? Yes, yes. It's, it's uh, now the biggest bookshop in Ukraine. It's <laughs> okay. Books related. Yes, absolutely. 
Um, wow. Yes, we founded it together. It's doing very well. It's, yeah. Uh, What's it called? Yes. It's called Yakabu. Yakabu. Okay. Yakabu, and yeah, it's getting all of Ukraine reading more. Yeah. So it's a are big campaign. Still, are you still invested in the company then, or when you? Well, when you left. Yeah, I'm, I'm a supporter from the outside. Okay, right. <laughs> yes. Good to know. <laughs> I wanted to, to start a, a very clean new life. Okay. Um, so I, uh, as a writer, I wanted, because I was running the business, and I, I thought I'll, I'll leave that behind. Yes. And because I thought if you're going to be a writer, you've got to throw everything into it. Absolutely. It's a profession so, in itself, isn't it? And yes. If you really want to. Yes. So um, I thought I have to give it everything. I'm 30, I'm going to give it the best years of my life. Yes. I'm not going to wait till I'm 70. Give <laughs> this absolutely the best years of my life and see what happens. Yes. And, yeah. and the, the book itself very much captures the subjects or the topics of happiness and grief mm. and transformation, which you very clearly write. Actually, if anybody wants to look at the website, you, you clearly <laughs> offer up questions for people to to ask themselves based on the book that you've written. Yeah, yes, I have some book club questions. Yes, yeah. and, and the, it's very much a, a story around a mother and daughter or a relationship between mm. mother, mother and daughter and happiness and finding happiness. Yes. And the, the ethereal way the daughter views life compared to mm. the mother. Is yes. That, have I got that right? Oh, absolutely. And, and I was just wondering for those who may have read it or want to read it again, now that you have embarked on another family, mm. you've got a young son, whether you view this book that you've written in a different way in terms of relationship with your child, mm. second time around. Yes, I think, um, so the relationship I, I, I describe between the mother and the daughter, is a, it was something very, very special I noticed, particularly with my daughter, uh, as she grew up, that bef before children turn eight or nine, that their imaginations are so flexible and uh, their entire worldview is forming. So really, they can believe anything and they have so much more flexibility of, of mind because yes. before you say this is what the world is like, they're able to experience things in a much more magical way. Yes. And there isn't such a, such a, a strong line between imagination and reality for children. Mm -hmm. Uh, because every day they're learning this is the word for that and this is how this is and before they're told that anything could be yes yes uh, and this is an incredibly flexible and wonderful stage of their minds and and I wanted to capture that with the character because I'd observed that in my daughter of how she'd play these games which would be so real to her yes so I expressed that in the book she's being the wind she's um she's being the grasses in the garden she's being a a bird and a tree, because there isn't such a big distinction between the imagination and, yes. and their reality. Yes, yes. And so I'd say with, uh, with little Arthur, yes. <laughs> age one, I'm very much looking forward to, to seeing, seeing that uh, as that plays out and encouraging his imagination and, and, and keeping it open for as long as possible yes. with stories and not, not, not closing him down into one worldview. Yes. And try to, because what we need in the world is thinkers and people with flexible minds and people who can come up with just new ways of how the world can be. Yes. But yes. you really need to, to have a bold imagination for that. You do. And, and it's, it's very easy for your, yourself as well to make life easy, mm. to, to just structure them in a way that you're, to make life easy for yourself, that you structure your child down mm. a path, says she who hasn't got any children. Mm. But, but I see that with not quite a few parents or friends. Very who, observable. That, that that's, that's what happens and then mm, they, this is how you should dress this is bound. how you should think yes and mm. they become bound within a set of rules that really 
don't exist. They've mm. just been created oh. for ease of, of living. Yes, I, I, I absolutely agree. And I think there's all sorts of exercises you can do with children to keep that, uh, keep that imaginative space open. Yes. For example, with, with my older children, we used to do improv comedy. Mm -hmm. There was a group we went to and, and it was so fun for them to, to make up scenarios with adults and um, just know that, that in the real world, they could actually um, change characters and say anything and yeah. do anything. It was very freeing. And I, I really, even, even now, they're, they're teenagers and I try to keep that alive with them and say, yeah. actually, at any moment, you can do anything. Yes. Yeah, you yeah. can change everything. You can change your beliefs. You can look at everything completely differently. And you can do that by also changing the people that, that surround you, mm -hmm. particularly as an adult. So if you decide your belief or your ideas are different you have to physically say right well i need to find the kind of people that believe in the same things as mm. me because otherwise you're trying to make a, a round peg yes. in a square <laughs> hole it, it doesn't work does it and then, yes. then everybody gets frustrated mm. and for your for your second book the unity game mm. starts off in new york yes but it, it's between three worlds almost isn't it, it is so it's across, across between a science fiction so interplanetary world yes right? and, yes and then um and then another world which is an afterlife, an world. afterlife world yes and how how did that come about because it's so different to your first book mm. um and you particularly as you wrote these books quite close together mm. to 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 go from one style and idea to something very very mm. different yet i suppose based on your experience in new york mm. was, was that your starting point so when I write, I have a, a starting point is usually a big driving question. Yeah. And I don't always know what question it is I'm, I'm trying to answer when I write, mm -hmm. when I start off the process. But the more I get into it, the more I understand. So with my first novel, the, the big question I was trying to explore and answer for myself was, what is happiness and how can we be happy? Yes. And in the second novel, uh, with the Unity game, my big question was really, what's the meaning of life? Okay. Because big question. my life had been turned upside down. <laughs> and when that happens, you generally say, well, what's the point in it anyway? Yeah. In it? And, and that got me digging very, very deeply and thinking very deeply. And as a writer, I, I understand things by writing them down and exploring them in different situations. Yes. So that's how the novel evolved. Okay. Because I'm interested what's the meaning of it all? What's the meaning of it all now on this planet or after we die? And if there's life on other planets and if there's something bigger and lots of what ifs, but all feeding back into that one question, what's the point of it all? Okay. Which was burning me. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and was burning the character, was it? Because it was just, he was on a fast track to, yes. to make money, be at the top. And, yes. and, and that was his vision, wasn't it? The yes. It was all kind of... Um, Apart. Well, this is the this is what we're really drummed into into doing in our lives the the very simple ego path of work, achieve, get physical things, and then be prosperous and die. Yeah, yeah. but that that doesn't satisfy anyone. No, no, no. <laughs> so it's interesting. And mm. and the the third book, which has a wonderful title, I'm very very much looking forward oh. to to reading this one called And Breathe. And Breathe. Uh, what a wonderful yes. title! Thank you, thank you. <laughs> and and this is again a very different style of book mm. based on meditation and bringing people 
together from mm. almost the world from the Unity game, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that kind of character, and and yes. and two other characters. Yes. To meditate and try and work out their issues. Yes. Is that in a capsule? Yes. Yes, I think so. Yes. And what was the burning question that influenced? this book? Oh, see, I'm not ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I know what the question is. I, I think I'll have to let the book sit for a little bit before I understand what question I was answering. Okay, that's uh, interesting. So you've, you've written this one almost mm. back to front. Yes. <laughs> so, so you're discovering what was the question behind? Oh, I don't, I didn't know the, the main question behind the other two books either. Okay. It's only with hindsight that I now understand. Okay, so yes. through the exploration yes. process. Sometimes it's even through writing that. blurbs that you say, ah, oh, that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> so your writing is very much an instinctive process. Of, this is what I need to write mm. about. I have situations and questions which kind of smaller questions which which burn me or I have a character doing a particular thing which I know that I need to write about and that can lead to different things and that can lead to a character developing into a fully formed person mm -hmm. so the, the story the story really comes from me feeling very strongly that I need to write about certain things and then they develop into a full plot yes and then afterwards as I'm it sounds rather strange. Afterwards, I look back and say, "What? what is that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. What I noticed with the first two books is also your your style of writing is very different. Like the first book, I find it almost, it floats. It's, um, how can I, I like that? <laughs> <laughs> um, it floats and it, it flows. It's almost like a dance. Mm. In the, the way you write mm. and the second book is more punchy almost aggressive mm. and it's almost like you're was it because you were trying to explore two different styles or was it also the floating dancing style is very much country rural uh, nature mm. and then the punchy style is New York hard aggressive style it's a city life yes and, and you you wrote to to match your backdrop I think part of the answer is I wanted to explore, certainly with the second book, I wanted to explore the different voices I could write in. Yes. And with, with my first novel, I think it, it came out very literary. It came out as, as poetic and floaty because that was 30 years of me wanting to be a writer led to me writing the most beautiful book I possibly could. Yeah, yes. <laughs> so I think that's why it came out as kind of quite a poetic experience. Mm -hmm. Whereas with the second one, I'd already, I felt I'd, I'd, I'd shown myself that I could, I could write a literary book with the first one. Mm -hmm. And so the second one, I just wanted to, to explore more what voices I could, I could use and what new styles I could use. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't want to just write floaty books for my whole life. Okay. Even though that would be easier to sell, I'd be the floaty writer. <laughs> <laughs> and so your third, this, the third book, mm. and Breathe, what style have you used for this one? Have you again challenged yourself to write in another style? Uh, I have. <laughs> uh, why and I my fourth surprised? one as well, I'm afraid. <laughs> okay. um, so this one, it's... Um, so the scenario is a 10-day silent meditation retreat mm -hmm. in Thailand, in the Thai jungle, mm -hmm. and three characters, all of whom have quite traumatic life experiences have come to this retreat to recover and what we have in the book is 10 days of their inner thoughts right so it's it's quite an intense 
experience for each of them. They're, they're going to face their worst fears and really transcendental moments and really go through some difficult processes from 10 Days in Silence. In this next section, Leonora talks about attending a Vipassana retreat and her experiences. I'd been on the Vipassana course. Yes. And... I didn't have terrible things bubbling up from, yes, <laughs> from yes. my subconscious, which I was very, very glad about. And one, one of the fun things at the end of the Vipassana course that you're able to, when it's finished, you're allowed to speak again mm-hmm. and talking to the other participants and finding out who was there and why they'd come. And for example, there were two or three musicians who were there. Mm-hmm. There was an opera singer, someone played the trombone, who said, our lives are so full of sound. Every single moment is full of loud sound. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, a blessing to be able to come and, and just have complete silence. Wow. So okay. that, that was something I'd never thought about. I thought, yes. And I considered making one of my characters a musician, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. decided... That would be a big change. Yes, <laughs> yes. And the next book. <laughs> yes, the next book, I'll have a musician. So you, uh, you also have have a fourth book you I have a fourth book to there, a yes in yes process well with the first two books they each of them took about five years to write mm-hmm. um, and that's just an awfully long time and if I divide the rest of my life into five years that's not enough mm-hmm. for all the stories I want to tell okay <laughs> so I then decided that I have to write two at once right and oh my goodness that's really <laughs> challenging isn't it well hopefully it's worked out nicely this time because I can give one to an editor or one to a reader and be working on the other one because mm-hmm. people often take months to get back to you on things yes um so it's in this case it's worked out very nicely mm-hmm. and my fourth one is uh entirely different again okay uh, <laughs> this one is about uh, south africa yes and jazz and uh-huh. ukraine again because all my stories seem to include ukraine and i'd say partly on that note oh, there's such the <laughs> Uh, with Ukraine, it's such a joy to, to bring Ukraine and Ukrainian culture into my novels because it's uh, in such a, a, a self-conscious process of uh, establishing itself very yes. strongly on the world stage. Yes. And yes. the more wonderful things that are written about Ukraine, the more interesting characters about Ukraine, the more that's known and, and understood and recognised about its culture, mm-hmm. the better. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a just a a little joy for me to have a piece of Ukraine in all of my books of course and 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 you have you have the platform from 10 years experience Mm. of of being there and and being part of a Ukrainian family as well very much so and and having two Ukrainian children yes yes and so your children and you do you do you speak Ukrainian to each other Uh, if if I (laughs) all of the above mostly we speak uh, English to each other if Mm. I try to speak Ukrainian or Russian to them they they scream in pain and say your grammar's (laughs) terrible stop it immediately and which I think is very very unfair of them (laughs) but does that mean that you're losing the language yes absolutely I I do try to keep it up but if you're if you're not speaking it all the time then it just chips away yes yes uh, like terrifyingly quickly yes yes so uh but i i fight to keep it mm-hmm. and i think that's fair <laughs> and will you um teach arthur ukrainian actually uh i am teaching him ukrainian and russian okay and uh another slightly extraordinary note of me and my ukrainian story is that dan also has some heritage in ukraine oh, wow. okay. <laughs> which is was rather surprising when we when we met and we were pretty much at the point of getting engaged and then his 
I think his mother mentioned that his family had emigrated from Odessa right. about a hundred years ago, oh, which just knocked me sideways. I'm yes, like, yes. I'm just, so somehow my fate is linked up with, with Ukraine's fate. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I now have three children with, with Ukrainian heritage. Yes, yeah. Um, uh, so yes, yeah, so our, our house is filled with books in English, Russian, Ukrainian, and a little bit of Mandarin, because my, my daughter speaks Mandarin. So she? Okay. I think... Well, if she could just teach that to Arthur, that would be very useful. <laughs> that, that would be a step too far for you to do. <laughs> well, I'd have to learn it. And yeah, then. Exactly. <laughs> so, yes, a step too far, definitely. Um, yeah. For a while, you also wrote and were based in Barcelona. Yes, yes. And how did that interweave itself into your, your books, as it were, or into your life just generally? Uh, well, that came... Uh, when I got divorced, I was looking for where I would move my life. America was just, I love America, but it was a little bit too far away mm -hmm. um, from everything, from Europe. And I wanted the children to stay in Europe. Yes. And so I thought London is a very sensible choice. I was looking at places to, to live in London. And then I visited a friend in Barcelona and it was just the happiest weekend I'd had in a very long time. And mm. I thought, I want to be happy. Yes. Forget everything else, forget good choices and sensible in London. I'm just moving to Barcelona. <laughs> and I bought a flat and I moved there. Wow. So quite a spontaneous and decision very based, much so. on, based on an instinctive Yes, uh, based on reaction. a very, very strong desire to be extremely happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, and you had your home in Barcelona for quite mm. a few years, but yes. you sold, sold that now. Yes, yes. Just when, too far now, too many other things going on. Well, London's a little bit expensive, so. Yes, it is. <laughs> if you want. It? 10 extra square feet in London. I had to unfortunately sell my lovely apartment. Yeah, yeah. But Barcelona is still my favorite city in the world. So I'm, I'm hoping to re-establish some kind of base there in the future. Okay, so it's still on your radar. It is, <laughs> maybe after the school years have finished for Arthur. Then yes, yes. We'll sell up and go and live in that lovely city. So coming back to the process of writing and so writing is only just one part of writing mm -hmm. and being an author. Mm -hmm. The other part is marketing it, publishing it, and mm -hmm. all the bits that a lot of people sort of cover their eyes, say, oh, someone, let someone else do all of that. Yes. But how did you approach that, that section of, of the profession? Mm. Uh, just as new skills that needed to be learned. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I had in Ukraine, I was a businesswoman and I was running a company and I had an MBA, which I did in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. um, and I just understood I'm running my author business and I need sales, I need marketing, I need to do this, I need to learn these skills. And some of them I can't learn and I need to outsource. I can't design a really fantastic book cover. Mm -hmm. um, so I need to find someone great to do that. So. I have a very logical mind and I really enjoy the business side of it. So mm -hmm. it was just a lot to learn yes. because you're learning everything that a publishing company does and everything that their marketing department does and then all the distribution companies yeah. yes. and it's your money on the line. Yes, so exactly. you want to try to somehow keep away from expensive mistakes. Mm -hmm. So when I had my bookshop, your books mm. were, were yes, in the, yes. on the bookshelves. Yes. Um, but at that point, still, I think it was just at that turning point where self-published and self-publishing was actually gathering a more positive mm -hmm. momentum. Yes. For the better, I think. Yes. For, or definitely for the better, as, as more and more people now are finding mm. by self-publishing 
you're actually able to take more of the profit, as it were, or yes, try and make a profit yes. even, than, than going to a publishing house. Absolutely. And how do you view that? I mean, between traditional publishing line and the self-publishing line, do you have a strong view on either formula, or would you, would you like a bit of both, or how, how do you, how do you yeah, view it? I, I think that self-publishing is the most exciting area at the moment, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, certainly the, the traditional dream path of having a bidding war for your novel and then having a publisher who does all your marketing and all you do is sit and write your novels. It's, uh, I think it's, it's still working fantastic for, for some writers, but it's not the cutting edge of where, where publishing is, mm -hmm. which is either self-publishing or hybrid or just looking at, uh, looking at the market in a, in a very much more entrepreneurial way. Yes. And I'm naturally, as a person, I'm, I'm a rule breaker. I don't like rules set up because I think lots of them are false and shouldn't be there and should be challenged. Yes. And the publishing companies are essentially gatekeepers and agents are gatekeepers yeah. who are sitting in, uh, on high and deciding you will be published, you won't be published. And yes. I, I very much like the idea of just crashing all this down and saying, if you want to be published, you will be published. If you have a story, put it out there. Yeah, there let will, the readers decide. Let the readers decide. Yes. And I think this is so empowering and such a, such a glorious thing for stories. I mean, why should anyone control the stories yes, yes. that are out there? Yeah, and very true. Because who's to say that there's someone who needs that story that, that is burning in you? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even in the, the most extreme scenario, that you write a story and it's full of typos <laughs> and has no punctuation, still maybe there's someone who needs to read that and yeah, yeah. It, it does something for their life that's really impactful. Yes. So I'm, I absolutely love the idea of people's voices being free, there being markets, yeah. that they can put out their stories, put out their songs, put out all their creativity that they have. I think this is just such a, such a beautiful picture mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That, um, that the market is now, is now enabling. Yeah, empowering the in individual to, mm. to get their voice out yeah. there, where, as we can you know, in this yes. digital age too. As we can. It's so, so much easier to get it out there. Yeah, yeah, and it certainly the the self-publishing route makes you makes you question a lot of things, such as why am I writing? What does success mean to me? And this is mm -hmm. something which um, all writers of all kinds come back to and and think, okay, my my last book sold this many. This book isn't selling this many, or am I still as good as I was? So lots lots of questions that writers ask themselves, mm -hmm. and for each writer, you really have to have a very strong um, strong sense of what is success for me? Yeah. Is it just doing my absolute, absolute best on this novel mm -hmm. and putting it out? Or is it 300,000 sales, which is yeah. achievable? Yeah. What is it? Is it being in the bookshops? That's achievable. There's, there's lots of things which are achievable. Yes. And from my point of view as a, as a self-published writer, I was stocked nationally in Waterstones. I did book signings in many bookshops. I had Waterstones booksellers telling me these were classics that I'd written. You're right. I oh, had good. fantastic reviews. I've got a few super fans. Yeah. And yeah. that's ticked all my boxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had thousands of sales. But that's um, actually a point too, is, is actually to be aware that there are, there are boxes to be ticked mm. and challenges and um, targets to, 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 to meet, or not to meet, but to, 
to reach mm. if you want to. Yes. Um, so you can be as big or small as you as you like, but yeah. the bigger you are, if you're doing it yourself, the more efforts required. Yes. Too. <laughs> or you have to reach out to others who can can help you mm. when you when you know how within within the budget that you have. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. There, there's as many ways to do it as there are stories to to put out there. Sure. And yeah. that's. Uh, that's very exciting as well and, and and there's other examples like people writing their family histories and that's mm -hmm. just the writing of it and putting it putting it in the marketplace for for other people to find that's, yes that's their box ticked yeah and that's that's perfect in its own way yes i'm just a someone who who celebrates stories of all kinds and i think people who are who are trying to keep those gates closed and locked are just not serving the the creative world. Yeah, yeah, yes. I loved on your website you you said that your your motto or your idea behind writing is you've got to live twenty years <laughs> and then spend another ten years writing it or mm. understanding it and then writing it before you can actually write. Mm. Was that a conscious motto that you had already created in your mind before you started writing or was it something that you realized afterwards <laughs> i think it was something i i'm someone who likes to live uh very very brightly so i'm always looking for adventures i mm -hmm. like to travel i like new people i i think life is so full of excitement waiting to happen like this podcast <laughs> <laughs> well thank you <laughs> uh and um it's just fantastic when you have when you have a, a big treasure chest of stories to draw from as a writer. Because mm. I think of the, the alternative, if I'd grown up in London as I did, and if I stayed in England and kind of continued doing that, then what would I be drawing from? Yes, yes. And I, I might be an even better writer. I might be going very deeply and internal into the British life. But I don't think so. I think going out and exploring and living and, and feeling other people's experiences is yeah. really gives you that treasure chest to, to dig into. And my experiences in Ukraine, my experiences in New York or in Canada or even Barcelona, are, I think will feed my writing forever. Yes, yes. And you spent a little bit of time in China and Taiwan because of the MBA you were doing yes, in that's Ukraine. Right. <laughs> and what specifically were you doing in those two places? Uh, well, during, during the MBA, we went on a study tour. Uh, so we were visiting lots of factories and companies uh, around China. That was mm -hmm. just incredibly interesting. And Taiwan as well. Yes. Um, but then, then I really fell in love with Shanghai and Did just you? absolutely <laughs> loved China. And so when, when I met Dan, um, my new husband, we first big trip we did was we went back to Shanghai. Oh, <laughs> has so it was, had it changed much? From no, it was as, as amazing as, as really? it was, as kind of shiny and yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> exotic so, with this rich history. So is that likely to be the backdrop of a book in the future? Oh, that's daring. <laughs> <laughs> so, I'd have to have a few more trips there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But my, uh, um, my daughter's going to spend her third year at university in China. Oh, so perhaps, oh, uh, perhaps spend a month there. Yes. I could go and spend a month in Shanghai. That yeah, yes. A great opportunity. <laughs> yes, for sure. Yes. So in all the places that you've been, around the world I mean you've, mm. you have traveled quite widely mm. where has had the biggest impact on you and also where is is pulling you that you haven't been to yet mm. 
well, so far as pulling me, I still haven't been to Japan, mm -hmm. which is a, a great sadness. Yes, <laughs> I know, for me too. And I, I dream of a, a six-month tour all around Japan to all the wonderful countryside. I will come with you. Seeing <laughs> done. <laughs> Carry your bags. <laughs> we can do a, a podcast around Japan. Yes, that would be fantastic, actually. Yeah. Uh, and and other places in Asia. I'd mm. love to. Thailand. I definitely yes. need to go to. Yes. So I'm very very much pulled there. And and I I'm I'm still crazy about America. I really really love it. I love mm. Canada. I love North America. I love. There's a lot of states in in the U.S. I haven't been to. I still feel, even with the craziness at the moment, I still feel it's a place of, of great hope and uh, a place really that the current society really was built on a dream. And I, I, I've always felt that yes. as a really powerful underlying um, kind of energy in America. And I've loved that. So I'd like to explore that more. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and as, so far as impact, uh, places that have impacted me, I'd say probably Ukraine has impacted me the most because my time there was really living in history. History was happening while I was there. Yes. As I mentioned, there were two revolutions. I was part of the first one, the Orange Revolution, a little bit part of the second one. Yes. Um, but just seeing a society transforming, finding itself, deciding who it is, uh, was just completely extraordinary and seeing the people change and literally seeing the generations change from when I first arrived all the people you'd meet would be very Soviet type people all mm -hmm. thinking in a very particular way yes and then by the time I left 10 years later there were lots and lots more young entrepreneurial people taking jobs and getting their ideas in there and saying hold on we don't want to live this old way. Yeah. Let's let's change all this. Yes. And lots of businesses opening and, and really seeing things transforming. Just incredibly exciting yeah. and inspiring and, and the language changing things. And just knowing that the younger generations are growing up there, having no idea what the Soviet Union was like, yeah. but looking around the world and ready to say, this is how we want society to be. Yes. This yeah. is our country and this is how we want it. Yeah. And that's just thrilling to watch. Yes, yeah, yes, for sure. Mm. And I hope my three Ukrainian children will be a part of that. Of course, definitely. <laughs> I think having some positive impact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So going forward, now you're very much established in, in London for the mm. time being. Yes. Um, do you go somewhere to write in London? And do you go and hide away somewhere to read in London? Mm. And how about to, to walk pushing park <laughs> on your doorstep? Well, the yeah. slightly dull answer is I, do, I have a room in my house where I write, okay. where I can shut everybody out, light yes. some candles, really create a very, very strong atmosphere where just lots of ideas are flowing. However, where lots of ideas come from is, is this park that we're walking in. <laughs> we're so lucky that we have this amazing bushy park that's full of deer. Mm -hmm. We haven't seen any. No. They must all be on the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very, very rare. Yeah. And we also have the river. We're on the river. So of course um, you are, yes. as a writer, whatever your mood takes, do you feel like a, a deer filled park for a a brisk walk or just walking and walking and walking along the river. In Teddington in particular, you can walk left, you walk for an hour and you're in Richmond and right, yep. you walk and you're in Kingston. So yes. that's, and you can carry on and get to wonderful places. Mm -hmm. But often if I, if I come running in this park, I'll just be stopping every two minutes to write <laughs> down ideas because it's just it's such nice a... to have that, isn't it? To have somewhere that you can go to be inspired and just let 
let those ideas flow, yes, whether yes. They're, they're good or bad or whether they'll be used or not. It's the fact that you have that outlet to, yeah. Yeah, to let everything come out. Really. Exactly, exactly. And this, this park's so particularly lovely because you really feel the seasons in this park. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of bracken and in the winter, all the bracken goes down to nothing. Yes. And then in the spring, it grows about a foot every day. Wow, so you can just hard. come and it's, oh it's suddenly it's, it's, it's as tall, it's hiding all the deer. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so spring's extraordinary here. Autumn, in autumn, all the, the stags are rutting and you can hear them bellowing over Teddington. <laughs> Um, and it's quite dangerous, you have to stay away from yes. them. So you really, when you come here, I mean, we can see today, it's a very bleak winter day. It is, isn't it? But uh, blue but sky, no clouds. Yeah, but then when the spring comes, suddenly everything's so intensely green and budding and yeah, yes. springing up. And it's like everything is, the grass, everything's sleeping at the moment, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes, like we, we should be. <laughs> it's like hibernating, yes. Warm there's bed. A, there's this, I didn't know there was a millennium wood here as well, oh, being created. No, I didn't know that. And for reading, where do you go to read? Uh, reading, a... absolutely anywhere. Yes. Of course, a comfy bed is <laughs> <laughs> nice in the winter, yeah. but uh, on trains is nice. If I'm going into London, trains is nice to read. And uh, we have a very, very awesome cafe in Teddington called the Fallow Deer, uh, which is a, a favourite with everyone. Right. Is and that where we're going to go to after this uh, Yes, podcast? it is. Fantastic. <laughs> I'll get to experience it. Um, amazing food, wonderful coffee, great yes. people. Um, oh, great. <laughs> so that's uh, just a lovely place to, to, to go and read. Um, yes. But also you can, although to be honest, I don't, but you could sit by the river mm -hmm. with a book. Yeah, <laughs> yes. But if, um, I should tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, I'd have, like to sit by the river with a book. You have that romantic notion no. of sitting by the river no. and reading a book. I do sit by the river and look at the river. But <laughs> That's the thing. I think mm. for me, when I'm out in nature, I get, I get distracted by what's around me that mm. I find it hard to read. Yes. yes. It's too interesting. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Like or I doing. fall asleep, one or the other. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Yeah. Well, Leonora, so, I've asked you a lot of questions, mm. but are there any questions that you think I should have asked you that I haven't, or you'd like to like to talk about? Am it? I allowed to ask you a question? Oh, you can if you like. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that you you've spent uh, a lot of time in the Balkans. Yes. Um, and I was interested in was there anything that resonated from uh, my writings or things I've said about Ukraine with your experience and yeah, no, no, definitely. I think it's the way of living and the attitude towards life, that closeness and connection mm. to nature mm. is very strong yeah. in, in the Balkans too. That, um, you know, they all grow their own food. Yes, they're, the gardens. They're, they're, I mean, I don't know whether this generation, it's still the same, but certainly when I, I mean, I was last there in 2011, 2012, mm. but, but there, the, the, their connection to the flowers, the plants going particularly when you go out of the towns in the mountains you know mm. they collect the flowers and the plants dry them and then they use them for teas and yes you know, everything is natural organic mm. and and what i loved about yes the, the first book that the flow of writing of nature just took me actually to the balkans because mm. i don't really know ukraine i've been to lviv but it's yes. not that's a city yeah so and i felt that that same kind of warmth and I don't know. It's very difficult to describe. Very the same kind of being, the the way they they are, mm. is very similar. 
Yeah. Um, and it's very special, isn't it? Definitely. It's mm. hard to capture in words, mm. as you can tell. I'm stumbling <laughs> over how to, mm. how to express it because I think you need to go there and experience it. Mm. I, I was at a disadvantage when I was there because I didn't speak the language. Mm. I tried to learn, but time, work didn't allow it. And in fact, the job that I was doing made it uh, more difficult because people didn't want me to speak either Albanian or Serbian, Croatian, mm. whatever you want to call it, whatever, you know, a Slavic language, yeah. because then it could be seen that I was taking sides. Oh. And so as a result, I was very much encouraged to speak English. Right. So when I was off duty, which was rare while I was working, um, of course I did, I knew how to say hello, thank you, blah, 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 but I wasn't off duty very often. Um, so beyond the niceties, I couldn't actually communicate with the old, particularly the older population. Yeah. And they are the ones that have some incredible They've stories. got the stories, yes. Uh, <laughs> and that's when I was traveling around in with my car and they would come rushing over to me and they would just yabba 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 and <laughs> full of enthusiasm yeah. there, the, the brightness in their eyes and everything and they just wanted to talk about the Zastava mm. and I couldn't communicate and I felt very sad that I could not. Mm. There was a point where I thought oh, I'd be nice to have had a translator with me so I yes. could have had that conversation at least with an intermediary but Mm. La vie. <laughs> yes, yes. But, but certainly um, I would like to go and visit Ukraine mm. definitely and particularly the countryside and the mm. same with the surrounding countries of Poland, Lithuania, mm. you've got um, Slovakia there, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Romania, is Romania, Moldova. Yeah, I mean yeah. that whole region is all mm. such a mishmash, mm. well, they're probably castigated for say, saying that, but it's, <laughs> well, it's been chopped it up a lot of times. Yeah, of culture and ideas, but the central, the central theme and idea is they are all very attached to the land and to mm. nature, yes. which, more so than I believe uh, people are here. Maybe I've been blinded by being in London too long mm. to, to, to see it in the countryside and in this country. I don't think people in, in Britain are so attached to it. I think. I mean, I think they're they're recognising they need to be live a more organic life, mm. and but everything is done with at huge expense. They mm. they put a price on eating organic food in this country, mm. which they shouldn't do. Yes. Which in, in the Balkans and and Eastern Europe is just a part of life and that's the difference yeah. it's the value is that it's for everybody in eastern europe whereas here the value is if you've got money yes and yes that's, that's wrong yeah. in my opinion uh, yes well there's certainly movements for people to, to change their gardens into vegetable yes patches that's true so maybe maybe we're on a, on yes. a, on a point of change in about time Could too be. i would say mm. Yes. Well, that, that's so interesting to hear about about your Balkan experience, and and I agree. The the older generations in these countries have have extraordinary stories, and um, which should be told, which should be heard and yep. written down and told. And I hope so. there are writers out there mm. from the from those countries, young writers, yes. who are capturing their parents, their grandparents' stories, yeah. because they'll be lost otherwise. Uh, yes. and that would be such a such a pity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's a it's a fascinating part of the world. Definitely. Yes. yes. <laughs> and you could explore it forever, really, yes. couldn't you? Yes. But um, oh, thank you for asking me that question. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else that you would like to talk about? I mean, obviously, I would like the podcasters to know how they can get hold of you if they want to mm. know more about your books. I know you have your 
your website. Oh, I'm very accessible. Very, that's good <laughs> Very to accessible. So, I mean, you could write to me on Twitter or on Facebook through my Leonora Mariel Facebook page. So that's or, Leonora, L-E-O-N-O-R-A. Yes. Mariel, M-E-R-I-E-L. That's correct. Dot yes. Com. Dot com. Uh, and on my website, there's a contact form. You could drop me a line. I love connecting with other writers or readers and and hearing your thoughts brilliant so uh, i think it's what, really important. it's what this life's about is, it is connecting yes and and also hearing their, their comments and their reactions to your stories and having ideas because that's what sparks new ideas isn't yes, it yes yes and one one thing i particularly love is that uh, several people have uh, looked at my website and they've come and said i'd love to self publish a book i have a story i want to write this book yes and and i've uh, help them a little bit i've given them some some steps to take and really really just said do it yeah and i absolutely love that because Supporting so many writers. people have these books in them and, and yeah. too many people say i'm going to wait till i'm 70 and why would you wait till you're 70 yes. now's the time to tell a story exactly yes. it's more important than anything else you're doing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> supporting writers very mm. important so yes anybody out there wants to talk or connect with leonora do so through mm. twitter instagram facebook <laughs> yes or her website leonoramariel.com yes so leonora i think we've probably covered enough for today all right and it's been I, wide I ranging have, i have yes it has and i have mm. the idea of the coffee now at the mm. old fallow the, the fallow deer uh, oh sorry at, yes at the fallow deer <laughs> to thaw out our fingers yes it's yes chilly, isn't it? and i should should mention that teddington was voted the the best place to live in london was it by the sunday times i really? should mention that oh my yes goodness. So, and here you because are because of the <laughs> Because the river and the parks full of deer and the quality of life and the great cafes and the community spirit and yeah. just people loving it and investing in it and and this is a so. huge bushy park is a huge yes. oxygen lung isn't it so oh it's wonderful needed yeah so come and visit yes yes okay so anybody visiting london it's very easy to get to Bushy Park. Literally, it's three minutes walk mm. from Teddington Station. Yes. And you can also get to it from the other side. Uh, from Kingston, from Hampton, yes. So there's from various Richmond. ways. Or you can come on a car, but yes. preferably take the train. Or yes. walk, or cycle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We were talking earlier about your bookshop travelling through, Emma, yeah. and I want to mention that it was absolutely my favourite bookshop, that it was <laughs> everything that a bookshop possibly could be, that it was run by a writer, run by you, holding events, amazing coffee. You had this combination of indie books and traditional books, of old books and new books. It was an absolute celebration of creativity and it was really my, my favourite bookshop. Oh, thank you. And I was, I was very sad when it had moved into a different form, although yeah. I know this is a very interesting form. Yes, this is an interim form, the podcast yes. form. And hopefully <laughs> we, will, we will be a place and a, a community yes. in person once again in the, in the future, in the yeah. near future. But yes, I miss it. I miss the customers. Yes. And that's why I've been loving mm. podcasting with all of you that made the place what it was. Yes, and, and I, ha I have wonderful memories of, of seeing you there and meeting other indie writers there and just drinking coffee and chatting with other writers in this amazing yeah. bookshop. I think this is literally one of my happiest experiences in my oh, life. <laughs> you know what? It's quite interesting because because um, people are telling me this now. When you're in it, and I was just working in mm. it, I didn't see... But you were busy the, making the coffee, Emma. I was. I didn't. Um, <laughs> you weren't relaxing. I didn't appreciate, I didn't mm. appreciate the impact mm. it had until after 
and people have come back and told me and that's so nice and it's yes. such a lovely warm feeling that mm -hmm. what we created for for what was relatively a short period of time yeah. was a very special time it and, really was um, will be with me forever one dream that created and implemented and more dreams to come <laughs> wonderful <laughs> thanks leonora thank you so to all my podcast listeners out there, if you've enjoyed this podcast and have been inspired by our chat, I certainly have with Leonora. Well, thank you so much for having me, Emma. Leonora. Um, please do share with your friends. If you have time, please give the podcast, Travelling Through Podcast, a rating and a review. That would be very welcome. And subscribe. If you'd like to know a little bit more about what I am up to, you can find me on travellingthrough.com. Co.uk. There will be another podcast coming out next week, but for now, take care and thanks for listening.